Section 93 of Expository Thoughts on the Gospel of St. Matthew by J. C. Ryle. Chapter 27, verses 45 to 56. Christ's death and the signs accompanying it. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Matthew, chapter 27, verses 45 to 56. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran, and took a sponge, and filled it with vinegar, and put it on a reed, and gave him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And, behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion, and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake, and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. And many women were there, beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's children. In these verses we read the conclusion of our Lord Jesus Christ's passion. After six hours of agonizing suffering, he became obedient even unto death, and yielded up the ghost. Three points in the narrative demand a special notice. To them let us confine our attention. Let us observe, in the first place, the remarkable words which Jesus uttered shortly before his death. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There is a deep mystery in these words, which no mortal man can fathom. No doubt they were not wrung from our Lord by mere bodily pain. Such an explanation is utterly unsatisfactory, and dishonorable to our blessed Saviour. They were meant to express the real pressure on his soul of the enormous burden of a world's sins. They were meant to show how truly and literally he was our substitute, was made sin, and a curse for us, and endured God's righteous anger against a world's sin in his own person. At that awful moment, the iniquity of us all was laid upon him to the uttermost. It pleased the Lord to bruise him and put him to grief. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10. He bore our sins. He carried our transgressions. Heavy must have been that burden, real and literal must have been our Lord's substitution for us, when he, the eternal Son of God, could speak of himself as for a time forsaken. Let the expression sink down into our hearts and not be forgotten. We can have no stronger proof of the sinfulness of sin or of the vicarious nature of Christ's sufferings than his cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It is a cry that should stir us up to hate sin and encourage us to trust in Christ. 
Footnote. The following quotations deserve notice and throw light on this peculiarly solemn portion of Scripture. Our Lord said this under a deep sense of his Father's wrath unto mankind, in whose stead he now underwent that which was due for the sins of the whole world. When he said, Why hast thou forsaken me? He implied that God had for the time withdrawn from him the sense and vision of his comfortable presence. When he said, My God, he implied the strength of his faith, whereby he did firmly apprehend the sure and gracious aid of his eternal Father. Bishop Hall all the wailings and howlings of the damned to all eternity will fall infinitely short of expressing the evil and bitterness of sin with such emphasis as these few words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jameson End of footnote Let us observe, in the second place, how much is contained in the words which describe our Lord's end. We are simply told, He yielded up the ghost. There never was a last breath drawn of such deep import as this. There never was an event on which so much depended. The Roman soldiers, and the gaping crowd around the cross, saw nothing remarkable. They only saw a person dying as others die, with all the usual agony and suffering which attend a crucifixion. But they knew nothing of the eternal interests which were involved in the whole transaction. That death discharged in full the mighty debt which sinners owe to God, and threw open the door of life to every believer. That death satisfied the righteous claims of God's holy law, and enabled God to be just, and yet the justifier of the ungodly. That death was no mere example of self-sacrifice, but a complete atonement and propitiation for man's sin, affecting the condition and prospects of all mankind. That death solved the hard problem, how God could be perfectly holy and yet perfectly merciful. It opened to the whole world a fountain for all sin and uncleanness. It was a complete victory over Satan and spoiled him openly. It finished the transgression, made reconciliation for iniquity, and brought in everlasting righteousness. It proved the sinfulness of sin when it needed such a sacrifice to atone for it. It proved the love of God to sinners when he sent his own Son to make the atonement. Never, in fact, was there, or could there be again, such a death. No wonder that the earth quaked when Jesus died, in our stead, on the accursed tree. The solid frame of the world might well tremble and be amazed when the soul of Christ was made an offering for sin. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10 let us observe, in the last place, what a remarkable miracle occurred at the hour of our Lord's death, in the very midst of the Jewish temple. We are told that the veil of the temple was rent in twain. The curtain which separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, and through which the high priest alone might pass, was split from top to bottom. Of all the wonderful signs which accompanied our Lord's death, none was more significant than this. The midday darkness for three hours must needs have been a startling event. The earthquake, which rent the rocks, must have been a tremendous shock. But there was a meaning in the sudden rending of the veil from top to bottom, which must have pricked the heart of any intelligent Jew. The conscience of Caiaphas, the high priest, must have been hard indeed, if the tidings of that rent veil did not fill him with dismay. 
the rending of the veil proclaimed the termination and passing away of the ceremonial law it was a sign that the old dispensation of sacrifices and ordinances was no longer needed its work was done its occupation was gone from the moment that christ died there was no more need of an earthly high priest and a mercy seat and a sprinkling of blood and an offering up of incense and a day of atonement the true high priest had at length appeared the true lamb of god had been slain the true mercy seat was at length revealed the figures and shadows were no longer wanted may we all remember this to set up an altar and a sacrifice and a priesthood now is to light a candle at noonday that rending of the veil proclaimed the opening of the way of salvation to all mankind the way into the presence of god was unknown to the gentile and only seen dimly by the jew until christ died but christ having now offered up a perfect sacrifice and obtained eternal redemption the darkness and mystery were to pass away all were to be invited now to draw near to god with boldness and approach him with confidence by faith in jesus a door was thrown open and a way of life set before the whole world may we all remember this from the time that jesus died the way of peace was never meant to be shrouded in mystery there was to be no reserve the gospel was a revelation of a mystery which had been hid from ages and generations to clothe religion now with mystery is to mistake the grand characteristic of christianity let us turn from the story of the crucifixion every time we read it with hearts full of praise let us praise god for the confidence it gives us as to the ground of our hope of pardon our sins may be many and great but the payment made by our great substitute far outweighs them all let us praise god for the view it gives us of the love of our father in heaven he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all will surely with him give us all things not least let us praise god for the view it gives us of the sympathy of jesus with all his believing people he can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities he knows what suffering is he is just the savior that an infirm body with a weak heart in an evil world requires end of section 93